Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We read Micah 4. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's, or the mountain of the house of the Lord, will be established as chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us concerning his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So there's this um, focus on what the house, the effect of the house of Jacob, the house of the Lord, the church of the living God, the effect that that's going to have in the last days. The effect is nations will stream up into it and they will declare, teach us your, teach us your ways. So we can walk in his paths. Everyone say that, teach us your ways so we can walk in your paths. That's the cry of the nations. They come up and they say, teach us your ways so we can walk in your paths. For the law, the Torah, which is precepts and statutes, that word law is Torah, Torah, it's the double Torah, 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 which is precepts and statutes. Um, the law will go forth from Zion, which is a depiction of the church, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then verse 4 highlights the fact that God's going to judge between whole nations. And then the injunction to this house then, the injunction to this house to which nations will be attracted in verse 5, which we'll focus on towards the end of the study, is, So come, house of Jacob, then let us walk in the light of the Lord. If this is going to be our ultimate end, if the streaming of nations is to, be, is to come to this house, the injunction to, to the house then is, you better, O house of Jacob, you better start walking in the light of the Lord. What will be the attractive feature? Everyone say light. Light is going to be the gravitational pull to the nations. Right? Light. And we'll talk more about that um, later on. But last week I said, just to, to put it in note form, but I just say this last week, the period in human history called last days began with the, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. In your notes, Hebrews 1 says, In times past, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, 
in the prophets in many portions and many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So the period of time called the last days starts when God starts speaking in sons and not in son and not through the, the medium of the prophetic um, medium of the Old Testament. So it starts the speaking of the Lord in son com- commences the period called last days. Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost said, um, in your notes, Acts 2 verse 14, Peter raised his voice, men of Judah, you all will live in Jerusalem, but this was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. So Peter identified the period in which he was alive as last days. It started with Christ, continued throughout Pentecost. We are still present living in the epoch of time called last days. So then, can you see this prophecy is applicable then to us? Because both Isaiah 2 and Micah 4, you'll read it in Isaiah 2 verse 2, it will come about in the last days. And I can't wait one day to stand up like Peter did and say, this is that which Micah prophesied. In the last days. When people look at what's happening, we're going to be the apostles. Peter was an apostle that stood up, that gave definition to his day based on a prophet of Joel. We too, in our time, I'm saying this seriously, I can't wait to make this declaration. One day I'm going to stand up because somebody, somebody might say, it's 9 o'clock in the morning and all these men are drunk. Peter says, no. This is that which was. So a carnal human mind will attempt to explain something spiritual and not give accurate explanation to it. It's nine in the morning and you are drunk. The apostle stands up and says, we are not drunk as you suppose. This is that which was spoken by the prophet. Right? So let me just say this to you. Please be vigilant and start to recognize this process when it happens. And don't start to give an inaccurate description to a valid process that God has himself initiated. When the nation starts streaming, hmm, we'll give new meaning to live streaming. (laughs) When the nation starts streaming to the house of the Lord, and when, when whole nations ask, what is the ways of your God? In education? What is the ways of your God in commerce? What is the ways of your God in finance? What are the ways of your God for marriage? What are the ways of your God for parenting? What, is, what are the principles by which your God functions for human life? And we'll say, come, we'll teach you. We won't only teach you, we will be the teaching. The word made flesh. Come and see. Okay? So when they asked us, they asked Jesus, where do you live? What did he say? Come and see. Son of man has no place where he might lay his head. So come and see. Amen. Are you looking forward to make this declaration? This is that which was prophesied by Isaiah and Micah. It shall come about in the last days, declares the Lord. The mountain of the Lord's house will be elevated above every other mountain. It will be chief. And nations will stream up into it. And they will say, teach us your ways 
that we might walk in your paths. For the law of the Lord will go forth from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen. I can't wait to make See, I've memorized the scripture already, so I can't wait to announce it. This is that which was spoken by the prophet. Amen. Hallelujah. Go to page two. I'm going to leave out the recap, but just there for your own reading. There's much that I don't say in the study that is written here. So please, the notice for your reading and for your own enrichment. There might be many gaps. I might say or not say certain things. So um, what I want to focus on is Jacob's view of the house. The mountain of the Lord's house. We're focusing on the concept of house that will be established above the other mountains. Genesis 28 verse 10 is a record of a dream that Jacob has. And the entirety of this dream is described as the house of the Lord. Verse 10. Jacob departed from Beersheba. Just for your own record, Beersheba means the well of a sevenfold oath. Well of a sevenfold oath. Yeshiva. What's called the place of the vow, the place of the oath. Haran is Haran means place of mountaineering or climbing. So it's elevation, right? So you go from a place of covenant or oath to ascendancy. So Jacob departs from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And it's interesting, eh? Um, in this locality, Haran, the place of climbing, he literally is going to see pictures of angels ascending. Right? So his physical location is going to activate something in the spirit. He came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and lay down in that place, obviously tired. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angel of God, sorry, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Okay, as we read, I'm going to start to decode this. These things are in your notes, and I'll make reference to it on occasion. Um, if you go down to verse 19, he called the name of that place. Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God. So everything that transpires literally from verse 12 up to verse 18 is a picture of what the house of God should be like. Please remember when you decode this dream, he is giving graphic depiction or description of what the house of God should be like. This is a picture of the church. This is a picture of the house of God elevated above every other mountain. So, the first thing we see, this is, um, let, me just, let me just read the entire thing first, and we'll come back to it. Verse, so there's angels ascending and descending. The ladder, the ladder was set on the earth, its top reaching the heaven. Behold, the Lord stood above it. So, at the top of the ladder is the Lord. This is what the Lord is saying to him. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abram. The God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west 
and to the east, the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall the families, everyone say families, shall the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Powerful prophecy. In fact, this prophecy almost mirrors exactly what God said to Abraham, what God said to Isaac. It is now repeated the third time almost verbatim to Jacob. Right Now Jacob's on the run, not so, from Esau. He's just defrauded his brother out of the birthright. So that's why God said to him, I know you, God is, I'm paraphrasing, God is saying to him, I know you're on the run, but I will bring you back to your father. I'll bring you back to your father's house or your father's land. Now, all of that. His response, verse 17, he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? The house of God should be an awesome place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Right? This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel, meaning house of God. However, the name of the place of the city had been called Liz. This is not only, you know, just put next to Liz. The, the meaning of Luz or Liz means the place of the almond tree or the almond tree. The place of the almond tree. And you know what the almond does? The almond is first to blossom, right, at the start of the new season, right? But the almond indicates the readiness of God to do a thing. Remember what God said to Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see the branch of an Almond tree. God said, you've seen well, because I am ready to do, perform my word, to hasten my word to perform it. So in the house of God, you have this idea of quick blossoming. You have this idea of quick readiness on God's part to effect his purposes. You could do a whole separate study just in the word Liz. The almond is also the, the, the rod of Aaron that budded. It's the rod of Aaron that budded when it was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Overnight, it bloomed, blossomed, and bore ripe almonds. Remember? Right? And so the place of Luz, the place of the almond, is a place where authentic leadership is validated by God. There are many sort of side things you can get out of it. I'm not going to focus on that right now. Jacob made a vow. So he, he sees this graphic depiction of what God's house should be like. If God will be with me, God just told him I'll be with you. But typical to his negotiative nature, right? Remember, he like wheels and deals, he's scheming. He said, okay, if God be with me and keep me on this journey that I will take and give me food to eat, garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety. Just make a note there. How long was he away, by the way? He leaves, yeah? How long did he return? After about how many years? 20 years later, he only comes in. He's like, Uncle Laban, he's going to meet Laban soon. He's going to work seven years for, Rachel seven years for, Leah, and another six years in, in Laban. Total of 20 years, right? And remember, prophecies only come to pass in the Father's house. 
So he's dislocated from the house. All the, he sees this graphic picture of the house. And the promise of God is, I'm going to bring you back to your father's house. Right? He's exploited by Uncle Laban. Right? Beware of the uncle spirit. <laughs> the uncle spirit will not get prophecies fulfilled. It's only the father, the father's house, in which the word of the Lord finds its expression. Remember Joseph and Mary? She was pregnant. They made a journey. Uh, from the because of this, the population census that um, Augustus Caesar instituted. And remember, it was only as she accompanied her husband Joseph to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. And it says, when they got there, the time was fulfilled for her to give birth. You will only give birth to your prophetic purpose within the environment of an accurate father. Joseph returned to his father's house the baby came forth. You can be pregnant with much. Nothing will materialize until you find yourself in the right environment, the house of your father. Okay? Now, Jacob sees all of these things. Okay? Turn over to, rather, let me just finish as he says, verse 22, This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. He commits to tithe in this economy. And his understanding of the tithe is because of the revelation of the house. If you don't have a revelation of the house, you will have problems with the tithe. But once you understand what the house is doing and the effect it's, it's having globally, tithing will not be an issue. In fact, there was no external commandment to, for him to tithe there. He tithes in response to the revelation of the house he saw. He says, if this is going to happen, I will finance it. Basically. Go to page 3. Right. So, what are the elements in this house that Jacob saw? I've mentioned a few already. Number one, a ladder connecting heaven and earth. Right. So, two realms are connected. Jacob sees this reality that two realms can find expression in a particular context. The particular context in which heaven and earth find expression is called the house of God. The house of God is the only place where heaven interfaces with earth, as it were. The house of God, remember, is a family. It's made up of spiritual fathers and, and, spiritual, and spiritual sons. The house of God is the vehicle through which the kingdom of God is going to be expressed. Globally, the house of God is the place in which the kingdom is received, expressed, and the medium through which it's going to be extended. Heaven finds access to the earth through the house of God, okay? Through the house of God. Earth is resourced by the heavens. The environment of God's house is where both realms interact, right? This is a place where heaven meets earth, as it were. Right? This is the place, it's the venue, um, where all of heaven's plans find expression. Heaven wants to come into the earth in a legitimate way. Later on he said, this is the house of God, comma, the gate of heaven. While from an earth perspective, the house, gate means portal, is the access point to the heavens. From heaven's perspective, when heaven wants to invade the earth, the church is the portal through which heaven comes into the earth. 
You must remember, what does Babylon mean? Many things, two or three, but confusion, Babel, confusion, Babel. Babylon also means gate of the gods. Gate of the gods. The present worldly system is part of the Babylonian system. The world system is a gate through which Satan finds access. Gate of the gods. The church is the gate of heaven. Okay? Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, the authority of hell will not prevail against the authority of the church. Both dimensions are gates. The church is the gate of the heavens. The world is the gate of satanic gods. Right? Babylon, which means confusion, also means gateway of the gods. Okay? So we're in the world, but we are not of the world. The church should be the environment in and through which God finds legitimate access. The will of God can find its most potent expression through the house of the Lord. You then are a gate. Tell your neighbor you're the gate. Come on, tell them you're the gate. Okay, I got these notes somewhere. I'm just quoting some things from my notes. Now listen carefully. Um, so both realms collide here. The heavens resource the earth. Heavens, our cry perpetually is, in Matthew 6, Lord, thy will be done where? On earth as it is done in the heavens. And the will filters through the house. Secondly, there were angels ascending and descending. Notice the point of origin. Not descending and ascending. The point of origin is the earth. Angels. Get it right? Angels. You must always get these little things right in Scripture. Angels ascending and descending. I've heard the Scripture quoted by many people in various forums and contexts, and some guys say, angels descending. No, the Scripture says, angels ascending and descending. Like some people say, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. No, John said, he must increase. It's not that you decrease to make him big. Only when he increases will you. So get little, be specific. Because it changes the whole complexion of how you read it. Okay? Now, angels ascending and descending. We said angels are spiritual fathers over households. These angels in the house access the word of the Lord in the heavens and they bring it down to the house. They are the declarers of the voice of the Lord to their context. Okay? And I like what Thamo often says. It's not that we have out-of-body experiences where we leave our bodies and we... Um, although that's legitimate, Paul had one of those. Eh? Right? But... Uh, with your spirit, man, you are able to engage the heavens. With your soul, through your body, you are able to engage the earth. Your spirit, man, was made to engage God in the heavens. It was created that way. Right? Um, and with your, with your soul, through your body, you can engage the earth. Your soul and your body must always take its cue from your spirit. Your spirit is to be predominant over the soul. 
Spiritual fathers have the capacity to access the will, the word, and the way of God in the heavens. How do they do that? They do that with their spirit man through the word of God. This is no abstract, spooky spiritual experience where we fast on a mountain and our spirit goes up, some ladder comes down. Right? This is nothing like this is we, it's a very normal, ordinary experience. Okay? As we study the word of the Lord, God activates our spirit man to see things of himself in his word as they exist in the heavens. Remember, God showed Moses the pattern for the tabernacle? He says, according to the design that you have seen in the, in the mount, right, where you engage me, build it according to the pattern. Right? Apostolic spiritual fathers see the will or the design of God in the heavens, and they proceed downward to declare that to those under their oversight in the earth. And they always intend, the intent is to build what they've seen. Do you know when we teach the word of God, essentially what we are attempting to do is to build what we see. There's a view of reality that we have that is birthed out of the heart of the Spirit of God in the heavens. In declaring it, it's an attempt to build what we have seen. Right? We have a view of a spiritual reality. We want people and our oversight to come up to that measure, so we teach. And that is how this process of ascending and descending. Now let me just say this also. In John chapter 1 is a powerful um, narrative. Just the background to this. Jesus saw Nathaniel under a fig tree, remember? But Jesus wasn't in the geographical vicinity where all this was transpiring. He wasn't, he was nowhere near the fig tree, but he saw Nathaniel. So he says to Nathaniel, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no God. I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel says to him, verse 49, Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel bases that conclusion, you are the son, because someone saw him when he was not physically present. You were, not, you were nowhere near. You were not even proximate. You were nowhere in the vicinity. And you said, you saw me under a fig tree. When Jesus told him that, Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, you believe. Jesus is amazed. This guy believes purely on the basis that Jesus saw him when Nathaniel did not see Jesus. Right? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say, you will see the heavens opened and angels of God ascending and descending on who? Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus was a ref the Son of Man is a reference to his, his humanity. Jesus is saying, I as an ordinary son of man, a human being on the earth. Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, you are gonna you're gonna see heavens open. And you're gonna see this dynamic of me ascending and engaging my father in the heavens, hearing things, I declare them, seeing him do things, I do them. What did Jesus say? 
I say nothing unless I hear my father. I do nothing unless I see my, my father do. Right? The heavens open. Nathaniel was amazed. Jesus, no, this is very normal for me. Tell you now, this is normal. Not paranormal, it's normal. <laughs> okay. This is like normal. And I want to encourage the house. You know what I see this dynamic? God, I can't get this phrase out of my mind since Kenya. God was literally saying to me, you are under an open heaven. From this point onwards, you will see the heavens open. Yeah, he says, you'll see the heavens open and angels ascending. There will be no stoppage or flow of my will to your life. Right? You'll be able to access my word, my will, my way, and bring it down to those that hear you. Amen? Tell your neighbor, this is the house. The house is a place of an open heaven. The house is a place where angels ascend and descend the Son of Man. Hmm? Now, next, the, the Lord uttering His will for the house. Jacob is in, is in the environment of the house of the Lord, and the Lord confirms to Jacob that he has a will for his life that is basically a continuation of all that he said to Abram and Isaac. Nothing new or nothing vastly different he said to Isaac, to, to Jacob, than what was said to Abraham and Isaac. In fact, it's almost like a re-echo of the same prophecies. So what do we learn? Whenever the word, the voice of the Lord is uttered and he declares his will for the house. The will of God for that house is not disparate or separate from the line of continuance of his will from previous generations. There's nothing new we need to do as a church. All we need to do is plug in to the eternal design of God as it has been revealed previously. Right? Um, Thalmo is of the view that no church really should have its own vision. Vision statements are sometimes, he says, ambition statements. Right? All every church should do is plug into the original design of God and fulfill that in the earth. So what then is the original design of God? The original mandate of God was to form man in his image. Man to be his representation in the earth. Man to represent his nature to the rest of creation. And to act as his regent, his viceroy, his deputy, his ambassador, and represent him. That basically is the pre-existent will of God for mankind. Thalmor got a series, it's about three or four schools ago, just three sessions. The pre-existent will for mankind. The church has got nothing new than to perform and to express that will of God to the nations. But now, let's contextualize it. If, if this must play itself out in a local context, then every local spiritual son submitted to a leader, a spiritual father in the house, must divest himself of his own will, ambition, and seek to fulfill the mandate God has given to the spiritual father. Okay? Um, we'll teach this when we do the series on spiritual fathering. Many examples of this in the scripture. Right? There's no need to find out the will of God for your life. You're in the will if you're in the house. You fulfill that will. 
Okay? Uh, Peter, uh, Timothy had no other message than the ways of Paul. He says he goes in every church where I teach. Right? He will teach you the ways of my ways in the Spirit. Okay? So, every spiritual son, this presupposes, let me just qualify this. This presupposes that your spiritual father is plugged into the eternal mandate. Right? This is, can go horribly wrong where the spiritual father over the house is not fulfilling the eternal mandate. And he expects sons in the house simply to drop everything they are doing to support his ambition. Then you misdirect a whole bunch of people. Right? And a whole group of people become dissuaded into the wrong activity. So you have, listen carefully, it's important for us to understand these things. The utterance of the word of the Lord to Jacob was nothing new. It was simply a, a re-entrenchment, if you would, a consolidation of stuff he had already said to generations previously. He is to receive the baton, as it were, and express his part of the mandate in the time in which he lived. If you understand, you want to say third generation. If you understand, this is third, this is third generation. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. From this man now is going to come 12 sons. From this man, those sons are going to form the construct of the entire nation of Israel. Right? Um, 12 boys will become literally provinces named after them. From Judah specifically, the Messiah is going to come. Then the church is going to be born from them. So you can see how that one man, if he misses and wants to do his own thing in his time, he can cause abortion to a process that God started years before. So you know what? I Right now, I'm studying all my father's material like I've never had before. Listening to it very intently. Why? I realize my effectiveness in this life is going to be purely be to the degree to which I understand the mandate passed on. And in my era, in my jurisdiction, I must express that in the manner in which God has will for us to do. Otherwise, we abort the process. The things, Paul said to Timothy, the things that you have received from me, commit thou to faithful men, which are able to teach others also. Tell your neighbor there are others also. You've got to build generationally. He who has a generational mindset has got two focuses. What went on before and what is to come. So in your generation, you plug into the previous one and you always focus on the next one. You raise them up. Amen? Are you excited about the next generation? Hallelujah. Amen. The, the next point on page four is the realization of the presence of God. He was afraid and he said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. Hmm? The house of God has the presence of God. Amen? Something we must never lose, the sense of God's presence. God was there in the house. There are many so-called houses where God's presence is absent. There's a fabrication of presence. There's an emotional high and people call it presence. Right? The house of God is validated by the presence of God. God is there. Jacob said, the Lord was here. And he even makes this confession. I wasn't even aware of it. Right? You know why? There's a separate teaching which I'll do later. 
He, he's still Jacob here, he's not Israel. He attempts to engage what the house represents with a carnal nature. Right? When that happens, you sometimes lose full appreciation or you will not be aware of certain realities based on your condition. You can be in this environment, let me just say it for our context, you can be in this environment and not be fully aware of the profundity of our reality based upon your own um, carnal lenses or blurred spectacles. Okay? And so it's important. Later on, his nature is changed in Genesis 32 from Jacob to Israel. Peniel when he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Okay? So I'm always praying, God, remove every bit of carnality so I can see accurately. You can, sometimes you can even be in powerful presence. You, walk, you can walk out of a meeting and some, a person that was fully aware of things will say, what powerful presence. And the other person says, what are you talking about? I don't feel anything. It's like, you know, two different realities of the same, two different views of the same reality. Okay? Now let me just say this. The Bible says, I've got a verse there, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the Midst and there to bless. Okay? Matthew 18, 20. We've often used this scripture to excuse poor attendance at meetings. Only if two people come to the prayer meeting, don't worry, brothers, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst and there to bless. This scripture got nothing. In fact, Matthew 18, you must see that the context, is a powerful depiction of church with governmental authority and power. Right? Now, in the name is in the nature and in the function. We said name always alludes to nature and function. Do you know there are some churches gathering, but they, get, they say we gathered, they might even say we've gathered in Jesus' name, but they're not gathered in the nature of Christ. How many gatherings you've been to where there's bickering, there's tension, half the church hates the other half, but they gathered in the name, singing songs. Hey? God's presence is only guaranteed according to this verse. There I am. God's presence is assured and is guaranteed where the gathering is constituted in the two things. In the name which is in the nature of Christ and when the gathering seeks to fulfill the function or the will of Christ. Then you are guaranteed his presence. When is the Bible says, lo, I will be with you. The, the Great Commission. Go into all the world, etc. Right? Make disciples of all nations, teach, preach, etc. And lo, I will be with you. The guarantee of presence is only given to those who are focused on the execution of his will. Right? You take the gathering in the nature, the fulfillment of the will, you've lost the guarantee of presence. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't want God ever to take His presence away from me. And I want to encourage this house. Tell never we are the house. Every time we gather, let not our gathering be in contradiction to Christ. We can gather, we can all be here physically. Right? I'm not even, even impressed anymore by a full house. Because a full house doesn't say anything. What's the point of having a full house but it's not gathered in the name? I would rather have a few that are gathered in the nature and focused to do His will, because they don't know I'm assured of His backing. Heaven will back that process than to have 
multitudes that are totally antithetical is the word. I can remind it. Antithesis. It's the opposite to everything that Christ stands. Right? So tell your neighbor, gather in the name. When you come on Sunday, gather in the name. Gather in accordance with your gathering. Remember what, there's a verse, a lovely verse in Samuel which says, and the army of David was like the army of God. Remember that verse? The army of David was like the army of God in the heavens. Right? When God looked at David, he saw his nature there. God said, yo, check those guys, David and Judah. Check those mighty men of valor. They just so like everything, my army in the heavens. Right? So, in the name. Then quickly, okay, we're going a bit too slow. The realization of the presence of the Lord. The house is the gate of heaven. I'm explaining that somewhat. Now, what I want to focus on is Matthew 16, 18. Listen carefully. I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build. You should underline the word, I will build. Who is building the house? God is building the house. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. Jacob described the house as the gate of heaven. Jesus, in this verse, described hell as a gate also. And like I said, gate speaks of two things. It's access, it's a portal, it's entry. That's the one idea of gate. The other idea of gate is authority. Gates always represent authority and power. Major contracts in, in cities in the Old Testament were concluded at the gates. Where did Boaz secure Ruth? At the gate. He knew where legitimate decisions were made. So gate life determined city life. Whatever happened at the gate determined whatever happened in the, in the, in the city. So Jesus is saying, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Question. Does it say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? It doesn't say that. It says, to paraphrase, the gates of hell will not prevail against a built church. A built house. The issue is the act of building. That is the most powerful expression of apostolic warfare. What is our strength? It's building. Gates of hell to not overpower the church in the process of being built by the Lord himself, representatively through spiritual fathers, his position over the house. So the act of building is the most powerful expression of apostolic warfare. I don't have it in the note, but you must take that phrase down. The act of building spiritually is the most powerful expression of apostolic warfare. Spiritual warfare has changed in this season. We don't spend hours, long hours in prayer meetings, shouting and binding every demon. We will do that when we are led to. But by and large, our focus is build a house so that whatever hell brings against the house will not work, will not prevail against a house that is built. Right? So then we need to ask ourselves, what then is building spiritually? Now, how you build, and it's another, this, this whole topic is something we could do separately. But to summarize, the act of building takes place through the installation 
of principles by the word of God. Simple. I wrote in your notes, a built church is one which is built by the laying down of principles from the word of God. Let me just say this categorically. If in any local church there is no thorough teaching, that house in the spirit is not built. That house in the spirit is prone to demonic attack and infestation. Paul said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. I commend you to God and to what? To the word of His grace, which is able to do what? So what, what, what builds you up? It's the word of His grace. How is grace communicated to you? Through the word. And grace builds you up. So you're built up by grace, which is an impartation of the substance the very substance by which God is made up of. I almost spent seven sessions just teaching this one line. The communication of the hypostasis of God through the grace. And that grace is communicated to you through the word. So you must access grace and Romans says, stand in it. Stand strong in the grace. Paul said to Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ. How does grace come to you through word? So how are you built up? You're built up through the word of God. The word build in the Greek is oikodomio, which means to construct, to confirm, to establish. The first part, what does the first part remind you of? Oikodomio, oikos. The building takes place in the house through the installation of principles from the Word of God. That's how grace is imparted to you. Right? So, to build means to construct, confirm, establish. It has the idea of erecting a superstructure and of building up completely or Fully. I wrote in your notes, repetitive and consistent exposure to the word of God voiced through a spiritual father in the Lord has the effect of building you up. Right? So this is the construction site. This is where you are constructed. This is where we chisel away at you. This is where we, we prepare you. We make you more effective and skillful in the Lord. Okay? This is the place where you are confirmed and you are established. Everyone say oikodomio. Now oikodomio, like you said, confirm, erect, establish. Right? Remember the verse we quoted last week, 2 Peter 1.12? Peter says, I will, um, although I've said certain things to you, I will say it again. Why? That you might be established in the present truth. Right? He establishes, he confirms, makes you strong by repeating certain things. So that's why I say repetitive, consistent exposure to apostolic doctrine. What does it make you? Strong. Right? And I want to entrench this. You must become a strong house. Everyone say a strong house. A house must be a strong house. And this is our intent. It must be the strong house. 
house of God. Now, how does this take place? Go to the next um, page quickly. They will have a break. Just 10 minutes, they will have a, a drink break. Question I ask at the top of page 5. If the church is the gate to, to ideas, portal access and authority of heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail against it as nations stream up to the mountain of the Lord's house, then what constitutes and characterizes the house of God as, as built? Number one, the principle of family. Everyone say family. Right? I explained bayit and oikos last week. I don't want to go through that again. But the church of God is the family of God comprised of spiritual fathers and, and sons. Secondly, each spiritual father must be connected to a valid apostolic prophetic grace resource in order to establish proper foundations. If you want to highlight a word there, it's the word foundations, which I want to talk about quickly. Because every house has got foundations. So if you say a house is strong, by implication you're saying this house has got extremely strong foundations. A house is only as strong as it's found. You know the height, weight, and the magnitude of a building is determined by its foundations. If, if, if you have, if this area on the pulpit here is the extremity symbolically of the foundations of a building, you can't say, no, I want to start building here. Right? When you, or your foundations are here. Your foundations determine the superstructure. The foundations are essential because it will determine height, width, and magnitude of what is built thereon. So built church has got very strong foundations. And I was showing Jules my 2002 Apostolic School of Ministry notes. My first school I ever went, first time I went to Tamo. Right? There were about 20 to 30 people in that school. Trison Towers Hotel in Marisburg. It was held. And uh, no computers or handwritten. Everything, whole stack of papers like that. And I remember him talking about this word, Themilios, in the school. And I hunted for my papers and I found it. I found the page I was looking for. Okay, I remember Thamo explaining foundations like this. The word Themilios, got it in your notes, is the Greek, one of the Greek words. There are many. One of them is Themilios, which is foundations. It means to lay a foundation with stones. And stones allude to words. Remember, Jesus, Satan said to the Lord, turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. By analogy, we conclude that stones also represent word. Right? So to lay a foundation with words. Our foundations laid with words. This word, the melios, is comprised of two words. And I checked this out in vines and in zodiacs. Listen carefully. The one word is thema, which means to lay something down. And the other one is titemai, which means to place something. But it suggests the laying down of a principle of the word strategically and clinically is the buzzwords there. You lay down strategically and clinically. If you're laying down foundations with your words carefully, you're not doing it haphazardly. You've, you're very ordered, you're systematic, 
You will know what you're constructing in the spirit. Okay? That's why we don't have a culture of rotational guest speakers here. Because you'll get a briyani by the time we finish in the spirit. We build, and even those that we do allow to speak from outside of our house are called in very specifically to lay certain things in the house. So we are building very thoughtfully, very systematically. Do you sense that? Right? Or do you feel you're getting just any word that has been pulled out of the sky from week to week? Right? There's a definite sense of line upon line, precept upon precept. What are we doing in the spirit? Please, I want the house to... Don't get bored with the foundation process. Because the foundation process of any building is the most boring part of the building process, is it? In fact, when, you, when you're digging foundations, um, always have the finished product in mind. Otherwise, you'll be, you'll be depressed by the, the focus of the work. Okay? Um, I remember this one illustration of, it's called the billboard revelation. Guy is digging the trench, ordinary laborer, being paid a, a low wage. And um, some guy comes past and says, I see you digging. He goes, what you digging? He says, they told me to dig. They're going to put foundations here. I said, but what are you doing? They said, no, just dig here. But they had a big billboard of an architect's impression of the finished product. So he says, when you get discouraged, just look up. Don't be so discouraged by the digging process. Keep your eye on where we're going. What you're doing now is critical to develop that. Amen. So I want to encourage the house. Keep your eye on the billboard. Hmm? Keep your eye on the finished product. Keep your eye on nations streaming to us and saying, teach us the ways of your God. Everyone say foundations. Now you cannot ever in the scriptures talk about foundations without mentioning the apostolic and prophetic. Why? Because Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are God's what? You are God's house. You are God's household. Having been built on what? Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of the whole building, going into a holy temple in the Lord in whom also you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the, in the Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, Paul said, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, the, the Greek word here is architecton, architecton, we get the English word architect. And how do architects, architects draw the blueprint? Right? And they present that to builders. And the builders build according to plan. Not so? Or they should. Okay? Build according to plan. Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. He called himself a craftsman in the spirit. I'm a technician almost. I'm building church by design. I'm not building church by what people think church should be. I'm not, I'm not seeker friendly. I don't want to put programs on to keep the crowd. I will build the church by design because this house that we build will have to stand. Okay? Now listen carefully. He laid the foundation of the Corinthian context. He's writing this to the 
Corinthians. He says, I laid a foundation and another is building. The other he's talking about here is Apollos. Right? Each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay any other foundation than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, in your notes at the bottom paragraph, there's Ephesians 3, verse 4 and 5 there. Let me paraphrase those verses. Paul says there that two ministries, apostles and prophets, have the capacity to decode mysteries. Right? One of the hallmarks of the apostolic is the capacity of So they understand the will of the Lord in the heavens, that which is closed off to most people. They're able to understand and discern that, bring it down into the earth and build it in the lives of men. Paul called himself a wise master builder. And what does he say to the Corinthian church? I have laid a foundation. Apollos is coming. He's building. Every man must take heed how he he builds. Listen carefully. Every true house of God, if we're going to be the mountain of the Lord's house, if we're going to be a church that's built, that the gates of hell do not prevail, firstly, we're going to make certain our foundations are apostolic prophetic. Paul did not say, I am the foundation. He said, I laid the foundation. And he qualified the foundation as Christ. Right? If the foundation of any church is not the nature and the will of Christ, that church's foundations need changing. The foundation of any church has got to be apostolic prophetic doctrine. It must be Christ. Everything must be rooted in Christ, not in in man. Oh, by the way, do you know the function of the apostolic sometimes is to break foundations? Old Testament, you will restore the foundations of many generations. Okay? So apostles are able to come into a local house and they can discern. The foundations of this house are inaccurate. Right? And what do they do in the spirit? Apostles and prophets can technically, proficiently tear down foundations and establish accurate ones. And to set the house on the on the on the right course so i want to encourage you to entrench consolidate and make strong the foundations okay on on the next page quickly before we break on the next page the next sort of bullet the teaching and preaching of relevant proceeding apostolic doctrine The thing about the apostolic is you have to remain current in what is released. Relevant. You've got to keep in step, keep in time with what God is stressing. And be current, be relevant at any time. And so hence we always go to schools. We connect it to the apostles so that we can be at the cutting edge of what God is teaching. Now, I want to close with this quickly. Active, obedient engagement of the word is critical. Because Jesus said this in Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the, on the rock. 
And when the flood came and the torrent burst, that house could not shake it. Sorry, burst against that house and could not shake it. Why? Because it was well built. Tell your neighbor, be well built. So here a house, the Bible says, is built. And the storms of life come raging against it. It, it doesn't shake because it's been well built. The gates of hell do not prevail against it. Why? It is well built. And how does Jesus define this foundation? It's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And all of this is symptomatic of one thing. It says, in verse 47, He hears my words, and what does he do? He acts on them. He hears my words, he acts on them. What makes a local house strong foundationally? It's not just its emphasis on, on authentic, apostolic, prophetic doctrine. It's the culture of obedience in that house that entrenches and strengthens the foundation of that house. Okay? So I want to encourage, your, encourage all of us, your active, willing obedience to principles that you hear is really the thing that strengthens the foundation of, of this house. Yeah. So foundations are a reference to consistent obedience from Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 48, right? So consistent obedience forms part of the foundation of a strong house of God that is, that is built. The next thing in this house is sonship. And we've said this often, so I won't labor the point. The stone that was the pillar, pillow, on which he rested that facilitated this dream uh, becomes a pillar that he anoints and he says, this is the house of God. The, Greek, the Hebrew for stone is eben. The root ben. Ben means son, a builder of the family name. So built house has got to be built by builders and they are sons. Okay? A pillow facilitates sleep. Sleep is the best form of rest. Sonship facilitates rest. Okay? All these principles are located um, in the dream that he has. Unless the Lord builds a house, Psalm 127, they labor in vain that build it. It is vain, verse 2, for you to go to bed late and to rise up early. For it is written, he gives to his beloved in his sleep. <laughs> Amen? I like that verse, eh? Psalm 127, verse 2. <laughs> Let me quote the whole thing for you so you get the principle. Right? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. It is vain for you to go to bed late and to rise up early. In other words, you're reducing sleep time because you want to get more work done. You go to bed late and you rise up early to maximize your work hours. For he gives to his beloved in his sleep. So if you, if you reduce your sleep time, you're reducing your reception time. <laughs> okay. The point is to work, and you're not anxious about putting in more hours to get more done, but you're working in a culture of rest. For in rest, you'll get more done. Okay? 
And what is rest? Rest is a whole large concept all by itself. But one of the principles Thamor taught us is that God made the world in six days and he created the seventh day as a day of rest for himself. Right now God is not working, although his work is done, but he is in rest. Why? He established principles in the creative order like gravity. If I drop the cell phone, hope it's not going to break. Okay? Okay, I'll drop it. Right. Did it go up to the roof? When I said, I'm going to drop the cell phone, did God get off his throne? Oh, let me ensure this, this thing falls to the ground. He's relaxed. He, he put a principle in the earth called gravity, a law which governed things. So he's in absolute rest, but creation runs according to principle. So Thamo taught us, if in your house you can install principles, you'll be at rest. Hmm? And if people just function by the principles you install, then you can sit back and be at, be at rest. Okay? Let the principle work for you. Don't always work the principle, he taught us. Let the principle work for you. Don't always work the principle. Okay. So sonship characterizes this house. And the moment you have mature sonship in a house, the house will begin to function in rest. Why? The sons in the house would have installed principles of the word in their lives and the degree of anxiety and, and, and anxious worry will all be reduced as people function by principle. I love Psalm 144 verse 12. Let our sons in their youth be as grown up plants and our daughters as corners, sorry, as corner pillars fashioned for a palace. So the stone which is Eben, which was sun, which was the pillow that facilitated rest, becomes a pillar. Takes the stone and anointed as a pillar. Who lays the foundation? Apostles and prophets. How is the foundation entrenched? Through consistent active obedience. So all these principles of the sun becomes the, the pillar that supports the entire structure. Right? Pillars are sons who have matured through obedience to apostolic doctrine. Right, Galatians 2, first part, verse 9 says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Peter, James, and John were reported the definition of what pillars mean for sonship is sons who have matured through apostolic doctrine. Okay, And then also lastly, the house, in the house that Jacob saw, he committed to tithe based on what he saw. So there's this commitment to resource the house financially once you see all these tanks in the house. Okay, I want to get back to Isaiah 2, Micah 4. That was basically a, just a quick review of Jacob's understanding of the, the house of God. And he sees all of these dynamics in the house. Now, Isaiah 2 verse 3 says, Many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. We will walk in his parts. The law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The issue that the nations will seek out from the house of the Lord is Underline that the ways of God. 
in order that they might walk in the paths of God. And you recall, I think it was in Satan seek after, the house of God must have strong word that revealing the ways of God. Revealing the ways of God. And ultimately, every son becomes an expression of the word. Every son becomes an expression of the way of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the hodos. I am the methodology to knowing God. So every son then, after the pattern son Christ, I am the way to the Father. You want to know anything about the Father, His ways, His principles? I am the way. The Word, the Son, has become the Word. The Word demonstrates the way of God. I love Isaiah 40, 53, verse 13. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and of your sons will be great. It's a lovely verse there. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. Okay? Isaiah 14, verse 1. When the Lord will have compassion on Jacob, and again choose Israel, and settle them in their own land, then strangers attach themselves to the house of Jacob. I love this. Remember, nations will come and stream up and say, teach us the ways of God. Isaiah 14 verse 1 is saying, strangers will come, will join them and attach themselves to what? To the house of Jacob. There's going to be this coming of strangers. People outside and attach ourselves to this house. I say this as a prophetic statement. We're going to see this process increasing. People are going to be attracted to the light in this house. And they say we want to join and attach ourselves to this house that is built. So keep your eye on the end process. Don't be discouraged by the process of building foundations, which I think we are still in. Keep your eye. Now, at the bottom of page 7, I wrote this. There's going to be an influx of the nations to the house of God that is accurately built. The context in which this will happen or occur is the deepening darkness and global crisis in the earth. You've got to understand this. The attraction to the house of God is going to happen in the context of deepening darkness in the earth. That's when the light shines brightest. right? The light of God's house. As the darkness in the earth deepens, will be accelerated. They will be attracted to the light of God. Underline that. The light of God in the people of God. As global, political, economic, climatological crises, the house of God will accelerate to greater maturity and readiness to receive the nations of the earth. Globally, at any point in time, there are always two processes afoot. Um, do you recall when, when Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage? Conditions were interpreted differently from two people groups. Right? As darkness covers the earth, as the, the, the deepening, um, especially the economic crisis, worsens, that is a signal for us that our light is going to shine, it's the brightest ever. Right? I put a note on Facebook today, I said this, 
What the nations seek after is what we in the house of God celebrate. What, what we celebrate is what they're searching after. What they want is what we got. Okay? And they're going to gravitate towards this place. Okay? And so, Isaiah 60. Rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. There are two levels of darkness here. Darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness the, the people is upon you, and His glory will appear upon you. Always two processes. Deepening darkness over the people of the earth, a, a brightening light over the people of God. Nations will come to what? I just like this verse. Nations come to what? Your light. You must please remember that. The attracting thing about the house that is built is going to be the measure of light in the house. The measure of light is going to be the attractive feature. Kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. I like this. And even now as we declare this, we call the sons from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we say, come to the house of the Lord. Come to the brightness of God's light that will shine in this place. Come to a house that is built upon apostolic prophetic foundations. Come to a house where spiritual sons in the house are consistently, actively obedient to every principle entrenching the foundation of this house. Come to the mountain of the Lord's house. And when you see each son, you're going to see the way, the hodos of God. And our sons will teach you the ways of God. I want to say verse 3 again. Nations will come to your light and kings. Notice, kings are highly influential people. right? People of rulership, of governance. Even that caliber of person will come to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar. And your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill. Some versions say your heart will be enlarged. Your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because of the abundance of the sea. The sea always depicts nations. Will be turned to you. And also there will be financial um, benefit as it were the wealth of the nations will come to you what do the wealth of the nations come to everyone say light yeah. i guarantee you that's why the, the the message that thamo preached on light at the law school we must really at some stage go to that very slowly and thoroughly the nations are attracted to light right now isaiah remember isaiah 2 verse 5 says Come then, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So what is light? The word of God is light. Now check these scriptures out. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. There are two distinct lights spoken of here. Okay, if, 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 my, if I may attempt to draw it, please don't laugh at my stick man. How do you draw a guy that's walking? I don't know. Okay, Liam will know this. Okay, he's walking, right? Happy guy. <laughs> okay. If you if you imagine 
Um, if you imagine a path, so let me just enlarge it, he's walking. He's walking on this path. And this scripture says, your word is a lamp. How do you draw a lamp? Okay, word is a lamp. I don't know. Something like that. Little lamp. <laughs> okay, just put some lights here. Okay, light. Your word is a lamp to feet, but to the path, it's a different kind of illumination. It's a light to the path. There's two different expressions of illumination here. The one is a lamp to feet and the other is a light to path. You can describe it that the one is short term and the one is long term. Both sources are from the word of God. Now look at the next scripture. It will define it further. It says, the commandment is a lamp and teaching is a light. Can you see that? It says the commandment is the lamp. So, yeah, the commandment, specific commandments that, that condition, if you picture a lamp walking, you know where you're going the next day, the next week. It's specific commandments that determine your immediate walk. So, but doctrine, you ever say doctrine? Teaching unveils to you the long-term direction. So apostolic doctrine or teaching lights up your long-term path. But specific commandments and instruction determine the accuracy of your walk in that path. Right? So you need two things, specific commandments and apostolic teaching or doctrine. Psalm 19 verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? Enlightens your, enlightens your eyes so you know um, the immediacy of your next source of direction. Now, listen carefully. Psalm 119 verse 130 is very important because it says, The unfolding of your words give, what? Light, long-term direction to the path of teaching, teaching here of the Lord. The unfolding of your word brings light and understanding even to the simple. Some versions say the entrance of your word brings light. That is why, listen carefully, we're just having a discussion um, in the break now. The angelos that ascends and descends is the person to whom God will communicate for long-term direction for the house. This is not to say that no ordinary son of God can access the heavens. We all have that privilege, right? And God can speak to you directly. But when it comes to giving a directional word that configures the pathway of the house, God will communicate to the angelos of that house. Now it's the, everyone say the unfolding of the word. Or say the entrance of the word. The word in the Hebrew is petach. means opening, entrance or doorway. It indicates access into, access into something. Okay? So, 
apostolic spiritual fathers have this capacity to decode the mystery of the word. They open it up, right? They give clarity of understanding. You, they can stand, for example, and teach the word of the Lord. Something you've read for ages. Something you've known for ages. But you'll get a Dr. Segi or a Thamo Naidu or Franz Duplessis or one of the other apostles that have capacity to open the same scripture, but they patach it. They give entrance to it. They open a door and you get into what the word and your eyes become illuminated by what you, by what you see. Okay? So, it's important to appreciate these two dimensions of the word. The lamp and the light. The light, the lamp is immediate commandment. The lamp is teaching or, or, or doctrine. The entrance of God's words bring light by sent ones and they, they open wide the path ahead of you. Amen? Uh, I would say one's like a lamp, the other one's like a floodlight. <laughs> you see headlights or whichever, right? You see the entire way ahead. Amen? I'm so confident in the season that I have a lamp and a light. Amen? A lamp and a light. The Word of God. Amen? Now John 1 says the following, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In the beginning, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that, what, that came into being. In Him was life and His life became the light. When you are obedient, you become the Word, you become the way, literally. And your light, your very life, becomes the light. Your very life becomes the doctrine to others. Wherever you are, you point the way. Wherever you are, you are a signpost to point the way to God. Your life is the light of men. Okay? Your life is the light of men. Now, how can you show this light? At the top of page 9, how can you show this light? Listen carefully. Well, let's look at the bottom of page 8. Firstly, do you remember we said nations come to your light? When you think of light, you think of this, there's nothing hidden in light. Everything is open, transparent, and exposed. So light means transparency, integrity, right? Revelation, illumination, understanding. Purity, transparency, integrity. This is all light. Right? That's why I said what the nations are looking for, like honesty, transparency, integrity, is what we celebrate. There is, these things are lacking in the world. Let me just say, systems are going to fail so badly, the world is going to look for people to trust. And we must be the light of God. Right? We must be, there must be so, if you're a business, your business dealings must be so full of light. Other companies must hold you and look at you and be attracted to you because of your light. Your marriage must be full of light. Your, your workplaces, if you're working for a boss, you are the light of the world in your, in your context. Okay? On the top of page 9, one of the ways you can demonstrate light is by love. Everyone say love. Unconditional love. The culture of unconditional love 
in the house of God, amongst the sons of God, will be the attractive light. First John says, First John 2 verse 8, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I just love that phrase. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Say prophetically over this house, the darkness is passing away and the true light has already started to increase the intensity by which it shines. It's already starting to happen, this process. The one who says he is the light and yet he hates his brother is still in darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling. The word for stumbling, just put a note at the bottom there, is offense. There's no cause for being offended in him. Why? The culture of love is so all-consuming. Tell your neighbor, I am offense-free. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that's possible. I, I quote this verse often. Psalm 119 verse 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall by any means offend them. Isn't it powerful to live an offense-free life? An offense-proof life? You must make some t-shirts, youth. Just take this as a mandate. Make some t-shirts, t-shirts, offense-free. Try your luck. <laughs> Try offend me. Try and rile me up the wrong way. You're not going to get an offended reaction. Now, there's no stumbling in the brother who loves. I'm going to say it again. There's no cause for offense or stumbling in the brother who loves. And he who says, if you claim to be in the light, but you hate your brother, you're actually in self-deception because you're still in darkness. If the house of Jacob is to walk in the light, this house has got to be the baptized in the love of God. We've got to love each other so much through all our freckles and frikies. Through all our niggy niggies and yaga nyagas, as we say. Right? Through all our deficiencies, our failings and shortcomings, because we do fail. But yet the rule, the royal law of love overrides it all. I mean, it's, it's difficult to get on with everybody all the time. But by the principle of love, you can. Amen? So just tell a few people I love you, around you. Love you. I was considering what theme to explore after this, and we, it's either Grace or Hebron, one of the two. Okay, but I feel it's very pulled strongly towards the Hebronic culture of love. Right? Because this is the light. It's not just about, listen carefully, when I say the word of God in the house of God, it's not just about a word, a church that is full of Bible studies all the time. No, it's a, word, it's a house where the word has become flesh. And the greatest expression of the nature of God put on display is the capacity to love. The, 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 the highest expression of God's nature is love. And if we can demonstrate that, I tell you, people will be attracted to this place. Hey? Your love is your light. Okay? The word, I love the song, take your truth and let it be. Remember the song we sing? Hear my heart, O oh God. Right? Don't turn your face away from me. Hear my cry of God. Let your love and grace wash over me. Then the chorus says, take your truth 
and let it be what? A river of love that flows through me. Take all this Bible study, everything I've learned, and squash it into one expression. The love of God for everyone. Right? Take your truth and let it be a river of love that flows through me. Okay? Now, as we close, let's read Zechariah 8. Here's another prophetic scripture. Zechariah 8 from verse 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It will be yet that the peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go once and entreat the favor of the Lord, and seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. And I highlighted this. Many peoples and mighty nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. Now, we are the Jerusalem of God. This is not literal Jerusalem in literal Israel. This is a prophecy related to the church. Everyone say many peoples. Say mighty nations. Right? Will come and say, let us go and entreat the favor of the Lord. I like verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from all nations will grasp the garment of a Jew. Tell your neighbor, you are the Jew. Ten men from all nations will grab a hold of one Jew and saying, let us go with you, for we have heard God is with you. Nations will come to your light. Please, I'm prophesying as I'm teaching. Don't be surprised when this thing starts happening in your business, in your personal or private world where you work. They're going to come and say, we will join and attach ourselves to you. Ten men from mighty nations will say to one Jew, grab a hold of his garment. Check, imagine the imagery here. They grab a hold of his garment and they say, we want to go with you because we've heard God is with you. Right? You become the light um, that attract men to you. So what's the symbolism? Just some quick thoughts. There could be other thoughts. If you have anything, please share with me. But mighty nations refer to influential nations who are strategic role players in global affairs. Amen? Ten men, probably a reference to strategic individuals in each nations. I, I even feel like literally trusting God to impact ten strategic men in every nation that we go to. Literally take the scriptures as they are. You know, but these are all symbolic things. So we're praying for strategic, impactful people. A Jew, a reference to the mature son of God. The mature, or a mature house of God in the earth. Garment, everyone say garment. Garment is very important because they grab the garment. There's something attractive about the garment. The garment means many things in the Bible. The garment is a mantle of grace or mantle of anointing. Some unique empowerment or endowment given to you by God that is noticeable, observable by Others, your specific, unique grace configuration will be attractive to them. Secondly, garments also represent readiness or empowerment to fulfill some special 
or specific function, right? Like Aaron's garments, the Aaronic garments, the high priest had specific clothing that spoke of his function. So garments speak of readiness to fulfill a specific function. And they will say, let us go with you. Highlights the cry of the nations, not just to be aligned with the house, but to be assimilated into the very construct of the house. Right? We want to become a part of what you have. We have heard that God is with you. This speaks of the awareness of the nations, of God's presence and his favor on the house that he's built. And this will grow. And nations will be attracted to the house. Okay, one or two more prophetic scriptures. Jeremiah 29, verse 5 to 13. Build houses. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, not so. Many people quote this. Right? Let's see the context. Build houses. Everyone say build houses. We're building strong houses, right? Build houses and live in them. And plant gardens and eat produce. Take wives. This is, this is a prophecy about what Israel ought to do when they're in Babylonian captivity. 70 years, not so? And this prophecy comes, I'm not sure how long. Uh, Sean did mention at the school. It came a few years while they were in captivity. This prophecy is announced to them. Take wives and become... So build houses while you're there, God's saying. Establish your stake. Build houses while you're there. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not increase. Marry and intermarry among yourselves. Please get the picture. Not with the Babylonians. So that while you are there, you, you, you multiply and you increase and you build houses. Now, we are, think, we are interpreting this as houses of God. Build strong local houses. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. You seek the welfare of the city because... If the city is well, you are well. You pray for the peace of your land. right? We must pray for our governments, etc. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in the midst and your diviners deceive you to not listen to the dreams which they dream. They prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Right? Then you will call upon me and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your with all of your hearts. So in the midst of an antagonistic Babylonian culture, we are commanded to build strong, strong houses because there is a positive outcome or end to this. And the plans that God has for us will prosper. Right? The true house of God must grow stronger and stronger. I like this portion of scripture. Second Samuel 3 says, there was a long warfare between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew steadily stronger. The house of Saul grew weaker. How? 
continually. Sons were born to David at Hebron. At Hebron, um, the soul, uh, there was two processes that were happening simultaneously. The house of Saul is weakening and the house of David is growing stronger and stronger. The house of David and the house of Saul are two types of churches. The house of David is a strong, apostolic, well-built church. The house of Saul is an institutional church. Right? Not built according to biblical design. The house of David is built on the culture of Hebron. Hebron means alliance, joining, love, full of light. Right? And that order, scripturally says, grows stronger and stronger. But the house of Saul, the institutional church, grows weaker and weaker. A church that is not built upon the principle of the house or the household of God. The church that is not built upon the principle of spiritual fathering and sonship. The church where there is no emphasis on the word to teach the ways. Where there is no emphasis on the lamp and the light to show the path. Where spiritual sons are not formed in the nature of Christ. Where spiritual sons do not become the way and the light. Where love is not the order of the day. That kind of church is going to be dying progressively becoming weaker and weaker as time passes. And as I speak, I'm prophesying these things. But the true Davidic type house grows stronger and stronger. It lives in a culture called Hebron, will ultimately rule from Zion. And in this culture, sons are birthed. Sons are born to David at Hebron. The sonship is developed within this culture. So please be aware prophetically um, of this fact globally all around the, the earth. There's a caliber of church that is weakening. And there's an expression of church that is growing stronger and stronger. We want to build the strong house of God. Everyone say that the strong house of God. Please bring it to our next final point. We need Bethel must become Al Bethel. In Genesis 28... Jacob says, this is Bethel, this is the house of God. In Genesis 32, he wrestles with the angel, remember? And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And he says, I have seen what? I have seen the face of God. When we behold God, we taught, remember the lesson on the mirror? When we behold God, we are transformed. Right? He then returns to Bethel in Genesis 35 and he renames Bethel El Bethel, which means God of the house of God, or its secondary meaning is the strong house of God. So when you analyze Jacob's journey from Bethel to Peniel to El Bethel, house of God, face of God, God of the house of God or the strong house of God. The house of God will only become the strong house of God when the face of God is seen in the house of God. The face of God is the nature of God, is the nature and will of Christ put on display. When the gathering is in accordance with His name. Because there are many Bethel's houses 
They haven't transitioned from Bethel to El Bethel. It's the house of God, but God is not the God of the house. It's man's church and not God's church. It's something man is building, not something Christ is building. I will build my church. There's a church that has been built that is growing stronger and stronger. There's a church that man is building, growing weaker and and weaker. But just remember this. Remember at Bethel, he has this wonderful vision of all the dynamics we, we saw of the house of God. His nature is unchanged. Then he confronts the angel, the Lord himself, I believe. He wrestles. While he's got prophetic promise passed on from Abram, Isaac, Jacob, he's in line for succession of the will of God. The baton is being passed unto him. He realizes this in Genesis 28. The same prophecies given to Abram, Isaac are given to him. But he realizes this is going to go nowhere very, very fast if I engage this as Jacob. So in Genesis 32, I need to appropriate personally, listen carefully, I need to appropriate personally something I'm already provisioned or positioned prophetically for. I'm positioned it in that I am Abraham's grandson. I'm positioned for it in that Isaac is my father. Right? It's been promised to me in Genesis 28. But unless, what did he say to the angel? I will not let you go until you bless me. But the man is already blessed by the fact that he is the third generation son. You see, you can be in the right, you, you, you can be in the line for blessing. You can be in the line for prophetic succession. But if you don't bear personal responsibility to engage that blessing for yourself, what is your privilege and preserved by virtue of accurate positioning could be lost if you don't engage God for yourself and allow Him to change your nature. You cannot engage and fulfill prophetic destiny, especially patriarchal order, with a deficient nature. God can never... I mean, this is profound mandate Jacob is to receive. Eh? Everything hangs on this one man. God's dealings with Abraham, Isaac, everything could fall flat if this guy fails. He realizes, that's why, what did the angel ask him when the angel wrestled with him? What did the angel ask him? What is your name? Did God know his name? <laughs> he said, yes, God wanted him to come to terms with who and what he was. When he said Jacob, he says, yes, I know I'm a deceiver. I've come to terms with my carnality and I'm willing to change. Now I will not let you go until you bless me. The hip dislocated. This guy's walk is forever changed. You can see outward observable change in the fact that he's walking a different path. Engage God personally. The house of God at Bethel became penial, the face of God. And then on his return in Genesis 35, he, he renames it. This is the God now. All I saw in Genesis 28 was house of God. Now I see the God of the house. You can be in the house and yet not engage the God of the house. But El Bethel also means, everyone says strong house. We are building strong houses. That's why we worry that the Melia Mosque, the foundation, must be strong. Because of the magnitude of the purposes 
that God wants to erect in this house. Okay? Now, on page 11, the second paragraph. Let me just read the top. The house of God grows stronger and stronger when its representation of the face of God increases. Spiritual sons in the house of God will comply with every opportunity for personal transformation, like Jacob did, and adjustment to their character, and also start to live in harmony and unconditional love with all the brothers in the larger body of Christ. I put that statement there because you know why? What was waiting for Jacob the next day? He wrestled with this angel all night. Who was waiting ready to... Esau had a big grudge. You've been absent, bro, for 20 years in Uncle Laban's house. Now you want to come back to Daddy's house. I'm here. You want to deal with me first. Right? Before you can appropriate, pray to your promise, I know that you've enact, engaged God, your nature has changed, powerful, personal transformation. But the next big, listen carefully, the next big step for the global church right now is reconciliation with estranged brothers. That's a word for the global church right now. It's, it's like, yes, we've been complying with processes where we've engaged the face of God. We know where we are wrong carnally. We are willing to change that. But you know, one of the people are more prone to adjust personally and correct personal, their personal lives. But when it comes to relationships, there's a serious reluctance. You know why? You have to literally be dead. Dead, 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 dead. Like deader than dead. Your life is not your own. You're looking at the bigger scheme of things. That's why Joseph proved the same. Until he forgave his brothers, nothing of God's process could transpire in his life. So, listen carefully. Before you come to Al-Bethel, you've got to reconcile with Esau. Then Albethel, the strong house of God, becomes a reality. Because in this house, there has to be no tension, no suspicion. I want to challenge this house. If you are suspicious about anybody of your brothers here, we are not the strong house of God. We haven't come to that place yet of rulership. If you cannot love everybody unconditionally, even when people disappoint you based upon your own expectations, or ever if they were much making judgments if your expectations are realistic or unrealistic, founded or unfounded, whichever. People disappoint you, but if you cannot walk in immediate forgiveness toward them, if you cannot overcome and in your, all, that's in, all that's in your power to do, reduce tension, reconciliation with brothers, even forgive your enemies. Do you know the Bible says even love your enemies? Tess, you're not allowed to hate anybody, unfortunately. You don't have that luxury. You're not in the world. You're in the kingdom. Eh? I'm so glad I don't hate anybody. Thank you, Father. Marty's clean. There's not one person I hate. I can't think of anybody. It's so hard for me to think about somebody I hate. For others, we can, some people can write the whole list. I can't think of one right now. I love everyone purely by the work of God's grace that is done in my heart. Until Job prayed for his friends, remember? Then only that God returned the fortunes of Job to him. Relationships at every turn 
have got to be corrected. Something I'm presently studying on the side for the second manual on, on kingdom economics. Do you know in Micah, if you are unfaithful to your wife, you will be hamstrung economically. Not Micah, Malachi. Right? The, the priests offer and they give offerings. They say, why aren't our offerings acceptable in your sight? And God says to the priest, you cry and you question the acceptability of your offerings to me. But the wife of your youth, with which you've dealt treacherously with, her cries are more louder than your cries for the unacceptance of your offering. Sort that out and I'll accept your offering. Relationships at every level. Everyone say relationships at every level. When I say this thing before you get to Al-Bethel, this mountain of the Lord's house, the, the light is going to be the love. The love is going to be uh, characterize every single relationship. You're with your enemies, with your brothers, with your, in your marriage, every single thing will be, have to be characterized by light. The word of God has to become this, this light in the house of God. Let's just finish this. Gee, sorry, I didn't realize the time. There's only one paragraph left. <laughs> we might as well finish it. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing of the Lord. Amen. God is speaking to us. You must study that portion in Malachi. Profound chapter. Um, second paragraph there. Jacob went to Bethlehem after this. So, Bethel, Peniel, comes back to Bethel, calls it Al-Bethel. From Al-Bethel goes to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. This is the parceling out of grace or Christ to the nations. And this, this last paragraph basically is a succinct summary of a session that Sean did at the School of Ministry. You must, you all got the notes, study Sean's last session that he did, right? And his final settlement that Jacob rested. Why are we focusing on Jacob? It says, let us go up to the house of the God of Jacob. This process of Jacob's experience with the house is critical for us to understand if we are going to be the house of God in the earth. Right? So his final resting place was um, Eda, the tower of Eda. It means flock, I like the meaning, to keep rank, to keep in order, to lack nothing. That's where Jacob finally settled. Right? This is now a governmental position in the spirit. Everyone say tower of the flock. You'll see this phrase in Micah, it's there for you. You see Micah 4 from verse 8 to 10 is the outcome of Micah 4 verse 1 to 3. Michael forces the nations are going to start to stream up. And in verse 8, he talks about a location. He calls a tower of the flock. If those of you that have concordances, if you check out flock, the word is Eda, the same location where Jacob ultimately settled. So picture a tower. And what, do, what is the image of a tower? What does it mean to you? Watch, a point of watching, vigilance, right? It's also an expression of warfare. It's also, like the Greeks, the Hebrews suggest, a place where rank and order, in fact, the, the root word is arrangement. Things are kept in proper arrangement or order, and there's no lack in that context. 
This is the final resting place of Jacob. Let's just read it together as we close. Micah 4 verse 8. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. I like this, even the former dominion. Some versions say the first dominion. You can put their garden of Eden. The first dominion that was given to Adam will come back to you. The thing that was, he was the rulership mandate will be restored to the church. The mountain of the Lord's house. Everyone say first dominion. Say former dominion. That dominion will come back to you, tower of the flock. And the flock is an indication of the sheep, the house of the Lord. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. It's a very powerful, powerful description of the restoration of a first or former dominion position that the church has lost throughout the ages. That will be restored to the, to the house of the Lord.